need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Some place where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. Did you recognize that? That is the Latin original of the very famous Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations, Come, an ancient hymn that the church is still singing. And it is a prayer, well, besides the Lord's Prayer, that we are commanded as a church to continue praying. Come. It's a simple prayer that Christ would return Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Joining us to study the Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations Come, Pastor Will Whedon. He's assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. Formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands, and a column in the latest Issues Etc. journal, where is this written? He's host of the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. Joy to be with you. We heard that lovely Latin original of Savior of the Nations come, Veni Redemptor. Talk about where that came from. Well, you know, this is the most amazing piece of church history to me. We actually kind of know. I, I mean, it's possible that what, what we just heard is exactly what we're going to hear about in this next little snippet from St. Augustine. This is his confessions, and he writes, Not long had the Church of Milan begun to use this kind of consolation and exhortation, the brethren zealously joining with harmony of voice and hearts. For it was a year, or not much more, that Justina mother of the emperor Valentinian, a child, persecuted thy servant Ambrose in favor of her heresy to which she was seduced by the Arians. Remember, they're the Jehovah Witness of the day. The devout people kept watch in the church, ready to die with their bishop, thy servant. There, my mother, thy handmaid, bearing a chief part of those anxieties and watchings, lived for prayer. We, meaning himself and his companions, yet unwarmed by the heat of the Spirit, still were stirred up by the sight of the amazed and disquieted city. Then it was first instituted that after the manner of the Eastern churches, hymns and psalms should be sung, lest the people should wax faint through the tediousness of sorrow. And from that day to this, the custom is retained. Divers, yea, almost all thy congregations throughout other parts of the world following herein. 
St. Augustine Confessions, Book 9. What he's describing there is the origin of the hymns that Ambrose began to pin. The way that he did this was he put into uh, stanzas, like we're used to today, lines of about, they were usually eight syllables. So, ta-da, 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 ta-da. <laughs> they repeat it four times. And, and, and that made one stanza. Ambrosian hymnody sort of became then a thing, and it was especially important that it was used against the Arian heresy. That is, they're singing hymns of praise to Christ. And Todd, the very first heathen recognition we have of Christian worship is from Pliny the Younger, and he observes to the emperor all the way back at the dawn of the second century, they, the Christians, testified that this was the whole of their crime or error, that they had met regularly before dawn on a fixed day, and recited an antiphonal ode to Christ as to a God. That is, they're singing to Jesus as true God, God in the flesh. St. Ambrose brought that joy further into the Western church with this practice of singing hymns when we gather. And that's how he became known as the father of Western hymnody. So this is obviously a hymn with an incredible pedigree, how does it come to us in its current form? Well, we, we know for certain that this is one of the hymns that was by St. Ambrose. I mean, you know how, how there's a famous guy and a whole bunch of stuff gets attached to his name? Well, because people started imitating what he did. But this one we know really was his. It was attested to by Pope Celestine as early as 430, so about 30 years or so after Ambrose's death. And from there, of course, this kind of hymnody made its way into the daily office, which is what the monks prayed, right? So there was a certain monk in the 16th century named Martin Luther who did not want to lose the great hymns that he grew up in that monastery singing. And so he thought, man, this is too good to keep locked up in Latin. We need to teach the people how to sing this in German. And he had an ingenious solution to this was he took the, the Latin, that, that florid Latin tune that we heard at the beginning, and he had a way of distilling the essence of that tune down into a very simple little melody that's clearly inspired by the original, but that ordinary people could sing. You don't have to be a monk to actually master singing Nun kommt der Heiden Heilet, uh, Savior of the Nations Come. So that's what he did, and this was one of the very first pieces that he worked on. He he. he he did write original hymnody, but he also believed very strongly in taking the treasures that the church had had and simply bringing them into German and making the melodies work with the German words. So this is Ambrose via Martin Luther to us today. And Luther's hymn is what then passes on to Christians. You know, it's not just Lutherans who sing Savior of the Nations Come. Ambrose's hymn is sung by most Christians today in the world via Luther. So, I mean, his tune and uh, his words, his translation sort of set the bar for it. If there is a prime, we're going to talk a lot about a lot of texts in the course of going through these stanzas. If there's a, a primary text for this one, I have one in mind that I alluded to before, but what would you say is the primary text of this? Boy, you know, I'm not sure that I could give you a primary text because I, I think it's dripping rich. So, I mean, it's like they seem to be a whole bunch of passages. What were you thinking of? Well, I was thinking of the last verses of the New Testament 
where we are commanded by Christ himself to pray for his return. Let the church say, let the spirit and the bride say, come. That's my primary text. I like it. I, I it's think the that only, works. It's the only other, we're commanded to pray a lot of things, but by Christ himself commands us to pray two things, his prayer and for his return. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And and that seems to, to fit very, very well. Notice in the, in the Latin, the, the, the veni is first, right? It's like, oh, I mean, it has that calm redeemer to it that uh, in English, it tends to come at the end of the line. Before we get into that first stanza, speak briefly about how this has come to be associated strongly with the Advent season. It's not, it, it can be prayed all the time. It should be, but strongly with the Advent season. Yeah, it, it in the Roman breviary it tended to that's the the, the book of uh, of the daily offices that the monks used. It tended to be restricted to Christmas, but Luther kind of pushed it out and thought of it as being fitting for the entire season. So, uh, in Lutheran use, in fact, it is the hymn of the day for the first Sunday in Advent, but it's frequently used throughout the entire season. And if you remember, Todd, in, uh, in the old Lutheran hymnal, it actually was in the Christmas section. So, I mean, it has a wide use because it just embraces the whole thing. It's going to talk about the whole of what Christ did, but mostly what it's dwelling on is who he is and how he showed that even in his mother's womb. The first stanza of Savior of the Nations Come. Savior of the Nations Come, Virgin Son, make here your home. Marvel now, O heaven and earth, that the Lord chose such a birth. you say of this first and really just iconic stanza that virtually every Christian who has sung this thing immediately commits to memory? Yeah. Let me ask this. Have Could you hear it? Could you hear how Luther had simplified that Gregorian tone and, and, and made it very easy for people to sing and master? So I, I, I think he really did a super job on that. The the savior of the nations is the stress there. In other words, and even comes even more in German, right? Komm der Heiden, der Heiden, Heiler. I mean, the heathens savior come. And that's a theme that runs through especially the prophet Isaiah. I'm thinking particularly of the beautiful words from chapter 60. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles, heiden, heathen, shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes around and see. They all gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy sons shall come from afar, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because of the abundance of the sea shall be converted to thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come to thee. Just a beautiful description of the Gentiles all coming. But who are they coming to? They're coming to the one that is the virgin's son. You can't hear that and not think right away of the prophecy in Isaiah 7. Do you remember the, 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 
the Lord had spoken to, to Ahaz, you need to ask a sign. You need to ask a sign from the Lord your God and make it be a big sign, as high as heaven, as deep as the depths. And, and of course, Ahaz is like, you know, being real pious. I'm not going to ask a sign. It's like, if God tells you to ask a sign, then you ask a sign. <laughs> and so, you know, hero house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? The Lord's going to give you a sign whether you ask for it or not. Here's the Lord's sign, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel the God who is with us. And this leads to marvel, heaven, wonder, earth. Remember from Isaiah 9, just going up a couple chapters, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When you hear wonderful, in other words, his his name is full of awe. His name is stand before this and be blown away. And then this such a birth. Todd, this is fascinating. This probably in both St. Ambrose and in Martin Luther is a reference to the notion of Christ being born of Mary in such a way that her physical virginity remained inviolate. This is what he did via what, what Lutherans would call the genus myostaticum, right? He shows himself to be true God even in Mary's womb, and that he is born of his mother without violating her virginity. So Lutheran confessions mention this twice in the formula of Concord, the Solid Declaration 7, paragraph 100. He employed this mode of presence when he left the closed grave and came through the closed doors on, on Easter evening in the bread and wine in the supper, and as people believe, when he was born of his mother. Notice that as people believe. A pious tradition is what it's trying to say there. And same thing in Formula of Concord, Solid Declaration 8, paragraph 24. He showed his divine majesty even in his mother's womb because he was born of a virgin without violating her virginity. Therefore, she is truly the mother of God and yet has remained a virgin. This is the marvel. This is the wonder, the nature of his birth that shows this human baby has to be true God because he just pulled off something that no mere human being could ever possibly do. That's what you're being invited to marvel at in the opening stanza of Savior of the Nations. And just briefly, he chose such a birth. He's not restricted in any way, but this is the way that he has, of his own will in concert with the Father, his father, chose to come and be with us. Yeah, and, and, and this is something that a number of the fathers will point to about Isaiah 7. They're like, guys, if you read it like the Jews want to read it, that it's just a young woman who got pregnant, how is that a great sign? What is that a sign of anything? That's not a sign of, you know, it happens all the time all over the place. That's not a great sign by itself. The great sign would have to be that she is a virgin, and that she conceives, and as a virgin gives birth to a son. That would be a pretty big sign that would blow anybody away. We're studying the Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations. Come, Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. When we return, not by human flesh and blood, by the Spirit of our God, was the Word made flesh, woman's offspring pure and fresh.
need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Some place where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the churches rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Educating a new generation of Lutherans, you're listening to Issues Etc. When a 2018 fire nearly destroyed Milwaukee's historic Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church, we got to work, but continued to give the gifts Christ freely gives to his saints here in Milwaukee as we have since 1847. We are nearly two-thirds of the way to completion on this historic restoration, but we need help to finish this work. Will you join us? Please consider joining us. Visit trinitymilwaukee.org for more information. And as pastor, I can't wait to welcome you home to Trinity. Join Lutherans for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 19th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023. Go to lutheransforlife.org to learn more about LFL's Conference for Adults, LFL at the March, and the Y for Life Youth Conference in Washington, D.C., The registration deadline is December 15th. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org the two of the hymn Savior of the Nations Come. We're studying this Advent hymn with Pastor Will Whedon, host of a daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. You can listen anytime, anywhere at thewordendures.org and on your favorite podcast provider. Pastor Whedon is wrapping up a study of the Gospel of Mark, and he'll begin a study of the book of Joel on Monday, December 6th. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. What do we find here in this second stanza? Well, you have a clear reflection on John 1, and there's a Western tradition in John 1, verse 13, that reads singular rather than plural. Let me show you what I mean. Who was born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, if verse 13 refers to Christ, then we see that the thing about his birth was that it didn't happen because of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of some husband. It happened because of God, namely the Spirit of God. And the result is that the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us, and we see His glory, glory that can only belong to the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. So that stanza is confessing the Spirit of God is the one who is behind the miracle, not any human being. And that 
chimes perfectly well with what we hear from the archangel in Luke 1, right? Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I know not a man? And the angel answers her, the Holy Ghost will come upon thee, and the power of the Most High will overshadow thee. Therefore, the child to be born of thee shall be called Holy, the Son of God. And similarly, I think of Galatians 4.4, where St. Paul, reflecting on the miracle of the incarnation, says, with the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. And that's what this stanza is really trying to lay out for us here. This happens by the dispensation of God. It is not something that a human being ever dreamed up or accomplished on his own. There's no way for us to have a human being who is at the same time God and man. God has to stoop down to us in that. So the word of God was made flesh. That's a very simple, grammatically simple sentence, but it is the most profound mystery in all of the universe. Talk about that. It really is, and it's the heart of the Christmas joy, right? When when you come to church on Christmas for the main service on Christmas Day, the gospel reading is always John 1, and the culmination of that gospel reading is that the Word that was with God in the beginning and that was God through whom everything has been made, that Word actually became flesh, took on flesh. He took a human nature into the unity of his divine person with the result that this child born of Mary is true man and true God. And as true man and true God, he will accomplish all of salvation for us. The church at Christmas invites us to just pause before that great mystery, to fall down with the wise men on our knees, with the shepherds, to adore and to worship him. And I hesitate to ask this, but is woman's offspring pure and fresh simply a device to make the thing rhyme? Or is there something really there? Well, I think the point is fresh certainly to nicely rhyme with flesh. But the idea that the child is pure and, and, and there is no sin in this child. This child is not conceived in the way that ordinary human beings are conceived that would pass on the contagion of original sin. You know, when you were born... Before you were born, you were selfish. Me too. That's the way we come into this world. This child literally comes into this world fresh, like like from Adam fresh, like a, a life without my will be done, but a life that simply submits to his father, thy will be done. In him, there was no sin ever from the first moment of his conception all the way through. Here is stanza three. Here a maid was found with child, yet remained a virgin mild. In her womb, this truth was shown. God was there upon his throne. I think we probably both grew up singing that stanza slightly differently than it appears now in Lutheran service book. Yeah, I think they actually went closer to Luther's original and closer to Ambrose's original by by more, more accurately rendering what was there. I grew up singing, in her virtues it was known God had made her heart his throne, which is not a bad observation, 
but it kind of takes you completely out of the womb. It, it, it makes it be nothing but a spiritual thing, if you will. And it's not just that that he was reigning in her heart through faith. He was reigning in her heart through faith. But this 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 stanza is really celebrating that God himself is on his throne in sight of Mary's body. In her womb, you have God's throne. But let's go to the beginning there, the remained a virgin mild. So again, both in Ambrose and certainly in Luther, this is a reference to the tradition, the strong early church tradition of Mary's perpetual virginity. Luther, for instance, preached a sermon 1541, just pretty late, right? Uh, only five years before he dies, in which he said, she was without doubt a pure chaste virgin before the birth, in the birth, and after the birth. Her son did not detract from her virginity, but actually strengthened it. That's in the House Postles, the third volume, page 256. And you can understand then how this truth is shown that it was God in Mary's womb if the child could be born of her and somehow or other her virginity remained inviolate. As the fruit of Mary's womb would later say in another context, hey, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And I can't read this stanza and not think about that wonderful scene that Luke describes in his first chapter where Mary comes trotting up to the door, right, and calls out her greeting to Elizabeth. And uh, verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I don't know, Todd, I always kind of picture her staring off at Zacharias there in the corner (laughs) when she says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment better than you, you old goat. So I I think that's sort of the, uh, the, the picture you had there. And God being in Mary's womb is why Lutherans in particular, together with really all Orthodox Christians, insist that Mary be given the title Theotokos. Therefore, she is truly mother of God, the bearer of God, and yet she has remained a virgin. One insight here that I think we could take from the sainted Dr. Norman Nagel is that it is certainly true that God locates himself in the Old Testament, but not in this way. In this way, there's a particularity to God locating himself in the womb of the Virgin Mary that is takes it up to 11 from, say, the temple or the tabernacle. Yeah, you, you have all these promises running through the prophets about how God will dwell in the midst of his people. And you always want to read it kind of like in a spiritual way. Of course, you know, he's going to be in there. And then all of a sudden, you look, you real. This, is, this was Elizabeth's shock when Mary walks in. She's like, he really meant it. He is in our midst. He He's coming to us as one of us. He is actually coming as our Savior in our own flesh and blood. When we return as we study this Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations Come with Pastor Will Whedon, we will hear the fourth stanza. Then stepped forth the Lord of all from his pure and kingly hall, God of God, yet fully man, his heroic course began. 
Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. This new resource will help you navigate God's Word with clarity and confidence. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's life ministry is thousands of people sharing Christ's love and mercy and giving witness to our Lord's creation of life, His design for marriage and the family, and the God-given value of all human life from conception to natural death. Working with many partners, LCMS Life Ministry sponsors human care efforts that meet the needs of body and soul and provides resources and educational events for all ages. To learn more, email lifeministry at lcms.org and visit lcms.org life. As we prepare for the Advent season this year, it's time for some contemplation. Your Christmas are from the 80s. They're made of styrofoam, the glitter has dropped off, and they're being held together with toothpicks. Don't celebrate another Christmas hearkening back to the age of glitter balls. See Ad Crusom's beautifully designed Christmonds together with our book describing how they fit into the church year. Visit adcrusom.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The Schools Division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Theology for blue collar, white collar, and clerical collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not only does our church need men right now, but the world needs men who will proclaim the gospel in its purity. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Peter Scare, Associate Professor of New Testament at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. If when you go to sleep at night you're thinking about it, my experience with it is this, is that thought won't go away. So if you're going to bed at night thinking about following our Lord and becoming a preacher of this gospel, then I would love if you could come and visit Fort Wayne, our campus. We'd love to show you around and show you what it is that we do. Have you ever considered becoming a pastor? Contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu. Christ-centered, cross-focused, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Stanza 4 of the Advent Hymn, Savior of the Nations Come. We're studying it with Pastor Will Whedon of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever. So, Will, I, this is kind of a fanciful way of talking about the birth of Christ. Yeah, I love it, though, isn't it? I mean, stop and think about what we heard at the beginning where Ambrose was battling the Arians. 
th- th- this is one of the most anti-Aryan stanzas you could you could hope for. He's he's very clearly stating that that the child that is born of Mary is in fact Lord of all and God of God, and yet he is fully and completely man. He's he's got that all running together. You know, in the the Lutheran service book Hymnal Companion, Doctor Schalk asserts that the pure and kingly hall is a reference to uh, our Lord leaving heaven, if you will, to come to earth. I, I think that's actually 100% wrong. I think the reference is exactly where we were left off in the last stanza. It's <laughs> his pure and kingly hall. It's Mary's womb. That's where his, you know, for the, for nine months, her womb was the temple of God, most truly. And when he steps forth, that's a beautiful way, I mean, a poetic way of describing him coming out of the womb in a way we don't even understand, and yet revealing himself to be both God and man, both. And uh, I, I'm, I, you know, I just wrapped up recording the the Gospel of Mark, and man, that Gospel is at pains to show this. He never mentions the circumstances of Jesus' birth in that gospel. But the question, who is this, runs from start to finish in that gospel. I mean, think about it. Who is this? He's so tired. He falls asleep in the boat on the in a cushion in the stern as a storm is, is brewing and raging, and he's sleeping right through it. Who is this? Well, when they wake him up, remember, he's able to command the wind and the waves, and instantly they obey him. Who can be so tired that he falls asleep and yet have power in his word to actually make wind and wave obey him? Who is this? Who is this who 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 can be touched and who himself touches? And yet, whose touch makes leprosy turn around and run away? And, and who can put sickness to flight? Who is this who can be born and, and suffer and even die and yet strolls across water as though it were were solid? This can only be God and man. And so the way the stanza describes it, he has a heroic course. When you hear hero there, you should think about the one who's come aligned. He's aligning himself with the flesh that he's assumed to rescue it. He's the great hero who will take that flesh through suffering, through death into glory, and not just for him, but for all of his brothers and sisters too. In classical literature, the hero is someone who, sometimes they're divine, sometimes they're not, but it is someone who undergoes trials and tests and then usually dies in some sort of, if not sacrificial, kind Mm -hmm. of achieving his goal in death way. And there's pictures of this, and Samson is kind of that in the Old Testament. He's that hero. But this is the hero. The hero, indeed. I, I think um, Ambrose's original word there was like a, the giant. <laughs> you know, he's he, he he he's like well, when you hear giant and you hear this, the idea of the heroic course, I think you can't help but think about you know little the little David felling Goliath. So the, remember that 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 other Christmas hymn that you and I both love from the the Middle Ages. This little babe, so few days old, has come to rifle Satan's fold. Here, here, this child has come to do this. I mean, look, we're pinning all of our hopes for the hope of the human race on this little baby. I mean, what kind of person does that, right? It's like, well, the person who knows that that little baby is God in the flesh. And we are instructed by the Apostle Paul to literally look to Jesus, and he describes him in those heroic terms, the author and the finisher of our faith, who 
walked out this course set before him by God to achieve our salvation. Who for the joy set before him. Yes, he walked that path, scorning the shame. He did it. And he does it precisely so that he, as the son of God, can stand before a whole family that he's brought back from death and sin and say before the father, just like in the prophet Isaiah, lo, I and the children God has given me here. I brought them home. I brought the children home. We heard that at the very first verse that I talked about here from Isaiah 60, right? All the children being gathered home. That's what this hero does. He comes into the flesh to bring us back to the father. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. He's host of the 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. And he's with us on this Thursday afternoon, the 25th, to study the Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations Come. Here is stanza five on the other side. God the Father was his source. Back to God he ran his course. Into hell his road went down. Back then to his throne and crown. Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of issues, etc.? Please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org, or you can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran Witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective, and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. All theology is Christology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. The 
fifth stanza of the Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations Come. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're studying this hymn with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. There's a lot more in that first line than meets the eye that his father is his source. Talk about that. Yeah, you can hear it economically, if I can put it that way, as in he comes into this world sent from the father. And that's true. However, it's also true that the Father is the source of his being eternally. So, you know, in another Christmas hymn, we we sing, Of the Father's love begotten, ere the world began to be. Literally, of the Father's heart begotten, ere the world itself began to be. And so, the Father is his source in both senses, the source of his eternal being, and also the source who sends him into the flesh. And When it comes to being sent into the flesh, he speaks about this any number of times. Think about John 5, verse 36. But the testimony I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me. Bear witness about me what? How? That the Father has sent me. John 6, verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father— So whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. Or later, John 14, verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. But not only does Jesus very clearly teach us that he comes from the Father, he as clearly teaches us that the whole course of his life is directed back to the Father. John 13, verse 3. Remember this beautiful passage that we read on Monday, Thursday. When Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, of course, he gets up and does the servant's task then. John 16, verse 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. John 17, verse 13. But now I'm coming to you, that's the Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So the pattern is really clear. He comes from the Father and he returns back to the Father. But where is it that his path actually goes? So you have this, into hell his road went down. Think about Psalm 16, right? Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Peter applies that on the day of Pentecost to Jesus in Acts chapter 2. So Jesus goes all the way down into the depths to bring us back to the Father. And his going into the into hell, of course, with the big point for Lutheran Christians is to be able to confess that is victory and glory. That is not in itself part of his humiliation. He goes to the depths of our humiliation upon his cross, but then he descends into hell as the promise and guarantee of our resurrection. The cross itself is implied here, but it's not, and you might say it's conspicuous by its absence, perhaps, but to jump, and this is what Paul sometimes does, he will talk about Christ's saving work by talking about him returning to the Father, work done. 
mm-hmm. mission accomplished, so to speak. And that's actually rather prevalent in John's telling as well, right? I mean, to go to the Father in John's gospel does not only mean the ascension, it means the cross. The cross itself is how he is going back to the Father. Yeah. So his course, this heroic course that we talked about in the previous stanza, is precisely to the cross and then via his descent into hell back to the Father. Right. It go, I think the picture that's trying to be given you there is all the way down and then all the way back. That's how he is going to lead. He, he has to go to where fallen mankind is that he might bring him back to the Father. Here's stanza six. For you are the Father's Son who in flesh the victory won. By your mighty power make whole all the ills of flesh and soul. you say of the sixth stanza well father's son is of course the father's own testimony about jesus you hear it twice in this the gospel accounts right when when jesus is baptized and comes up out of the water with the holy spirit descending on him like a dove a voice comes from heaven and declares this is my beloved son or like in mark you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And similarly, you have this voice come at the transfiguration when Peter is willing to put Jesus on a par with Elijah and Moses. And God's like, you know, wait a minute, don't you put my son on the same position as my servants. He is my beloved, my my son. Now, I love this, who in flesh the victory won. I think this is why Satan so loathes children. He knows that he came as a child and was defeated. I mean, he scorns our flesh anyway, being spirit. He, he looks down upon the, the idea of flesh and that, that God would become flesh and in that flesh would destroy him. That's what blows him away. Um, and so Jesus speaks about the importance of his flesh when you hear him say in John 6, verse 53, Amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you got no life in you. And so in Revelation 5, when you see the, the, the great victory celebration happening, when the Lamb takes the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fall before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, the prayers of the saints, and they sing this song, you're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood, you ransom people to God from every tribe and nation and language and people. I mean, that that's, in other words, in your flesh, flesh which could bleed, that's how the victory was won. You accomplished a perfect obedience to the Father in human flesh, and that is the victory of God's people. By your mighty power, make whole all our ills of flesh and blood, reminds us that Jesus would proclaim, you know, Matthew 28, he has all power in heaven and on earth. There's no place where he doesn't have that power. And that last line, make whole all our ills of flesh and soul. I can't help but think of Psalm 
103, which is like the song of the resurrection. It's the song that we sing on this, after our bodies have been raised from the dead, our sins forgiven, death destroyed. That's the song that we sing there where Jesus has indeed made all of our ills of flesh and soul whole. So this is where, as many Advent hymns do, the author talks about the consequences of Christ's heroic journey and points us forward to his second coming. And again, now we are praying not only that he come as promised, but then now he come again as promised. Talk about how we really can never, ever in Advent separate those two things from one another. They're woven of the same cloth. Yeah, they, they really are. And throughout the prophets, we see them just sort of intermixed together. Times, it's hard to figure out, wait a minute, is this first coming or is this second coming? I mean, you know for, for a fact that Jesus, during the time of his earthly ministry, fulfilled Isaiah 35, right? Then shall the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstop it. Then shall the lame man leap as a deer. I mean, all that stuff happened and all that's real. But you also realize, oh, wait. <laughs> it's going to happen again in even a bigger way when the day of the resurrection dawns. And so the people of God never stop praying for that second coming, that coming, as you pointed out at the beginning, Jesus commanded us to ask for. So we pray nonstop, come, Lord Jesus, that the moment of healing that we've had a foretaste of in your advent among us in the flesh, we might have in our flesh on the last day. He certainly exercised his divine power during his earthly ministry, and in his resurrection, ultimately. But we are told many times in Scripture that when he returns, he's going to return in power and in glory. What does that mean for Christ to return? Still in human flesh, but now exercising without any kind of restriction or his divine power in that flesh. I think that when we think of his power throughout the the. the, the the window into what he he does in the Gospels is a selective power. He uses his power selectively on this or that situation. But when we see that moment of his unveiled glory, of his glorious return coming on the clouds with the angels and with great power, it's going to all of a sudden be very clear to us that he, he, he literally had I me. Mean, you're going to see I have all power. That's why every knee is going to be bowing at that moment, whether they want to or not. Every tongue is going to be confessing whether they want to or not at that moment that Jesus Christ is the Lord, exactly who he claimed to be. He warned his enemies at his trial. You're going to see it, guys. It's going to happen. You will see that moment of my glory appear. And return, if you would, to something you just mentioned, and that is when he returns in this way, when he came the first way, first time, he suffered himself to be resisted, to use a, a good formula. When he returns the second time, he is not going to be resisted by anyone in heaven on earth, even the demonic forces. Yeah, whenever he deals with us through means, he deals with us in a way that he is resistible. You can fight against his will when he comes as the little baby in our flesh. But when he comes in glory on the last day, there is going to be no resisting him or his power. It's going to simply be the way it is, and everybody is going to be seeing it. There is going to be a full revelation of what all the time was there and present in him, but hidden, and which we foolishly thought we could fight, right? And this, by the way, that resisting him, that reaches way throughout the entire—it's not just during the days of his earthly ministry that you have in the Gospels, but— 
Stephen in Acts accuses the people of resisting the Holy Spirit, right? The same thing. You're, you're, you're fighting against what God's trying to give you. We can do this throughout the day of grace. At the end of the day of grace, the, the, the ability to resist is over because he deals with raw glory. Why is that so important for us to understand in view of his second coming that someone might say, God is God and he can convert sin? Obviously, yes, he can. Why is it so important for us that there's a window here wherein God allows himself to be resisted by man in advance of his final return? It is always an act of, I mean, it's called the day of grace for a reason, right? I mean, it is a grace of God that he does not deal with us as we actually deserve in this time, in this moment, that he doesn't come and give us that. Instead, he's wooing and coaxing and trying to draw us to himself through his precious gospel promises. And he does keep that up as long as we have flesh and blood in us till the moment of our own death. But then the day of grace closes, or if the day of his return comes first, then that closes that day of grace. We're studying the Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations, come with Pastor Will Whedon, author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. All three of these books can be purchased on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. When we come back, from the manger, newborn light shines in glory through the night. Darkness there no more resides. In this light, faith now abides. This is Molly Hemingway encouraging you to listen to my favorite podcast, Issues, etc. Every day you get in-depth interviews with host Todd Wilkin asking expert guests substantive, thought-provoking questions on all of the important news and issues of our day. The expert guests are in culture, law, ethics, philosophy, theology, and apologetics. Expert guests, expansive topics, always extolling Christ, Issues, etc. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Solid. Serious. Substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred Music for the Advent Season, LutheranPublicRadio.org. Do you want a church with a rockin' band and a sermon series to help you live a better life? It's not here. Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights offers authentic, historic Christianity to a world awash in fads and entertainment, and offers forgiveness of sins to people overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Join us Sundays at 9.30 on Old Collinsville Road in Fairview Heights, Illinois, to receive the life-giving gifts of God with us. 
Find out more online at bethanylcms.org. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal Jay Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E, at M-E-L-H-S dot org, jkrause at M-E-L-H-S dot org. That is stanza seven of the Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations, come. We're studying it with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Now we're into maybe the celebration of Christ's first coming. Oh, manger certainly anchors us right away into Bethlehem, doesn't it? And notice that even though we're dealing with the manger and Bethlehem, that's Luke chapter 2, you're still in John chapter 1 because of this newborn light. You think about uh, uh, the way John confesses, he was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, without him was not anything made that was made, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the picture right out of uh, Isaiah 60 again, right? Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness covers the earth, thick darkness the peoples. That's the darkness of sin and the darkness of death and the darkness of fear and all of that stuff. And, and yet the Lord rises upon you. His glory will be seen upon you into the darkness of our world, you know, separated from God by our sin. Into that comes light. And when that light comes, it, it is like a, a beacon and summons to the nations and to all people to come into the light and experience it. And you also think about how um, Isaiah later would say, uh, or not later, earlier said in chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Or John three nineteen, this is the judgment, light has come into the world. Colossians 1, St. Paul rejoicing that he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the light that's shining from Jesus. It is the light of divine love, which expresses itself in the wiping out of our sin by himself coming into the flesh and blood for us. And Peter 
We have the prophetic word made more sure, and you would do well to pay attention to it like a light shining in a dark place. Right. The word shines the word toward us in Christ. I mean, the word is there to give us Jesus that we might have this hope. And this is especially important when we go into the darkness of our own death, that we have this light still shining upon us, the light of the face of Christ in that manger. And you realize God comes to you because you could not come to him to bring you home. There's a great quote from Luther, and I believe it's in this large catechism, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong. It might be small cult articles where he, there's my God in that manger. I'm just going to stay here where I find God not in his terrifying majesty, but in his great mercy toward me. Yeah, I wonder if, I mean... I- Boy, I, I, in, in my mind, that's that's connecting actually with the discussion at Marburg. I may be wrong on that. Maybe, maybe it is. Uh, but I mean, I we, have no other God except the one the, that's in the manger. Yeah, the one in the manger, the one on the cross. Don't give me any other God. I, I, I don't want any other because any other one would frighten the daylights out of me. But this is the God who comes to me in such love that I am drawn to him. And, and that's at the heart of what Jesus chooses to do. He chooses to come to us in such a way that he would woo us and draw us into his embrace. The final stanza, glory to the Father sing, glory to the Son, our King, glory to the Spirit be, now and through eternity. no better way to end a a hymn like this than to draw our eyes back into adoration of the Trinity. And we have to fess up, that's not actually from St. Ambrose. He didn't actually have that stanza in there, but but the the, the practice of ending hymns like Ambrose's hymn with doxology had become so fixed that the church automatically (laughs) stuck doxologies onto the end of, of every hymn they received, right? It was a beautiful thing. And so when Luther translated it, that doxology was already firmly in place. And yes, the glorification of the Holy Trinity, man, that is the mark of Christ's people. You find me people that are praising Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I will point you to the Christian church that's there, right there, present there. And you notice how this this stanza is, is like a paraphrase of the Gloria Patri, right? Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And I just love how how that glorification of God that the church sings just nonstop. We sing that at the end of every psalm. It makes sense that we put it at the end of, of, of most of our hymns, too. I, I think you hear echoes of it in the book of Revelation. And, and remember how it begins in Revelation 1? To him who loved, who loves us and has freed us or washed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priest to God, his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Or Psalm 86, verse 9, all the nations you made, they're going to come and worship before you, O Lord, and will glorify your name, your triune name. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, St. Paul rejoices, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's summoning us, summoning us into this praise and glorification of the Blessed Trinity. And we talk a lot about the forgiveness of sins, which is certainly the primary benefit that comes from Christ's atoning work for us on the cross. But the goal, it doesn't stop at the forgiveness of sins. The goal is to return us humanity to our creator and to unite us with the Holy Trinity as human beings in the flesh, just as Christ united himself with us. Uh, and amening what you're saying, it's running right in the lines of the Westminster Catechism, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why you get the forgiveness of your sins, so that you could be drawn into his presence and he could give himself to you with love. And then you yourself, with the love that he's given you, can love him back and praise and glorification just goes on forever. We're studying the Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations. Come with Pastor Will Whedon, assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. After the break, we'll hear the entire hymn and get Pastor Whedon's final thoughts. What can we learn from our Lutheran forefathers on how to face the challenges of a culture openly hostile to Christianity? Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, has written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled For Such a Time as This. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. You'll also find Pastor Will Whedon's article on the monthly Psalter, the free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Word of God, Daily Worship, Lutheran Hymnody and Catechesis, Instruction in Phonics, Traditional Math, Literature, Grammar, History, Latin, and Strings. It's all part of our daily life here at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. St. Paul is seeking teaching candidates for the 2023-24 school year. Learn more at school at stpaulhamel.org. Consider joining the faithful faculty at the only classical Lutheran school in Greater St. Louis. School at stpaulhamel.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're studying the Advent Hymn, Savior of the Nations. Come, Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. Folks, if you appreciate our hymn studies, please consider making a year-end tax-deductible donation to support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. No gift is too small. You can make a secure online financial contribution at issuesetc.org or by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for listening and thanks for thinking of Issues Etc. at the end of 2021. Let's hear the entire hymn, Savior of the Nations, come, and then we'll get Pastor Whedon's final thoughts.
Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the hymn, Savior of the Nations, Come. Will, your final thoughts? The 4th century, the 300s. And what has happened is that this hymn has been handed on from one generation to the next. It's the fulfillment of Psalm 145, right? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Listen to these words. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They, the other generations, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Todd, that is exactly what happens in the church's hymnody. One generation picks up another generation's song, and it's passed on year by year, century by century. Have, I mean, think about those words hallowing the advent of God's people from the time St. Ambrose wrote them all the way down to the 21st century. We're still listening to that earlier generation's proclamation of the Lord's great deeds. And it's our joy to pass it on to others. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio, called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Well, thanks. Thank you, Todd. Folks, beginning this Sunday, November 28th, we'll start streaming sacred music for the Advent season on our 24-7 sacred music station, Lutheran Public Radio. You can listen at lutheranpublicradio.org, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, Apple HomePod, and on the LPR mobile app. When we come back, Pastor Tom Baker joins us. He's host of Law and Gospel. We'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson on Peter confessing Christ in Matthew 16. Historic, authentic, Christian radio. You're listening to Issues Etc.